Welcome to this episode of the Thinking Big Podcast. Today, we're talking about what happens when you cross quantum and spiritual physics with Cheryl Page. Cheryl went from left-brain scientist to a psychic medium within six months of her boyfriend's death. Prior to this, she was not inclined towards conversation about the spiritual world, but she knew he could not have been extinguished. Nothing in her life prior to July 7th, 2017, prepared her for the mind-expanding discoveries she made on her journey to find out where Scott went. Whether you believe in the spiritual afterworld or not, even if you're a skeptic, you will want to hear what Cheryl has to say. Today, we're going to be thinking big on expanding our mindsets in this part one series of what happens when you cross quantum and spiritual physics. Welcome to the Thinking Big Podcast with Sean Osborne, the show helping you think bigger into your life and potential. Sean believes by equipping you with the tools, strategies, and philosophies required to be successful in all aspects of your life, you can achieve anything you believe in. Empowering our own growth makes a deeply positive and lasting impact on our lives, community, and our world. Now, here's Sean. And I really want to welcome you to uh, to the podcast today, and I want to thank you, Cheryl, for being on and spending the time to talk to us about you know what your passion is and, and about what uh, what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about uh, about you. Well, um, by training, I am a clinical researcher. I run the research department for a small hospital in uh, Western Colorado, and so my day job is conducting clinical trials, primarily for people with cancer, but certainly other subspecialties as well. And so my background, for better or worse, is left brain science girl. So tell me what you do at the, at the hospital. I mean, what, what does that entail? What it entails is anytime we're doing clinical trials with human subjects, you know, the, the law, because of... Uh, malicious uh, intent, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, historically, there's been some unfortunate things. Everybody, I think, always thinks of Nazi Germany and all kinds of testing that happened right. on people without their consent. But we've certainly had that on our soil as well with the Tuskegee syphilis trials. You know, there's been uh, mismanagement of human resources as far as clinical research is concerned. So the the grandest part of my job is to keep the human subjects in our institution, the people who decide to participate in clinical trials, my job is to keep them safe. And so I need to know every, every clinical trial has a, has a protocol and the doctor's supposed to know it, but my job is to know it line and verse so that I end up really my most intimate job is to be the advocate for the patient. But I'm also in a larger sense, liaison between the FDA, the hospital, the doctor, the patient, the pharmaceutical company, to make sure that everything is done in accordance with the the FDA-approved protocol, but also ultimately to keep patients safe while we're working to glean new information to help people, you know, heal. Right, right, and that's well, that that is such a big. Uh... A big thing that we need to do we need to continue doing i know some people are against doing any type of, of trials but we can't we can't grow unless we learn i mean that's well and i think that on a, it's a, it's oversimplified but if you think about if you go into cvs pharmacy 
every single medication that you can choose from that's an over-the-counter medication, forget what's behind the counter, Right. every single one of those medications are there because clinical trials were done. Right. Yep. So we need, it's not, and people have a misunderstanding that it's about guinea pigging somehow people, but it's not that. It's about, as you just said, we have to ask questions and in order to continue to expand our base of knowledge, we have to keep doing things like clinical trials as far as medication is concerned. Right. And, you know, we'll lead up to kind of what your, what your passion is and what some of the stuff you're doing now. Sure. How do, how does that tie into your, your quantum mediumship? But it's, it's a medium type, you know, business. I assume that that is your passion. That is what you really love to do. That's what you live for. That's what you, that's what you, uh, that's who you are. Well, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think it's important to explain because it's a disconnect, right? You have scientists and you have medium and they seem to be on opposite ends of a spectrum. So, right. And you're um, in both. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and yet it wasn't always that way. Right. And right. so the backstory I think is important for uh, the listeners to understand uh, in uh, July of 2017, the love of my life was crossing the highway outside Aspen, Colorado and was hit by a car and killed instantly. Hmm. And I've lost parents, I've lost siblings, I've lost patients, but I'd never lost someone that I was in love with. And that was a game changer. I had no capacity, I had no frame of reference for the level of grief that I experienced. And so the sort of my spiritual line of demarcation was up until 8.40 on 7.7.17 when I got this phone call. And past that point, I was ripped from the moorings of my life. Every single thing that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a mom, I have kids, I have a job, I have a pretty stable, normal environment. Right. And yet, there was no goodbye. It was, he was just gone. Boy, that, that has to be one of the hardest things that you have to go through. And what do you, you know, for me as a scientist, you know, I'm ashamed to say on some level, you know, in our modern day and age, I think we turn science, we have turned science in many ways into a dogma right. where it's just become another form of religion where we have the right answer. Yeah. And if you think about your kids, my kids in school, we are conditioned to seek the right answer and we're rewarded for that. And yet science is supposed to be about an exploration. So the scientific method is you ask a question, you review the available data that already exists, then you form your hypothesis, and then you test the hypothesis and you get information. But if you think about all of human history as a spectrum, Let's not even go back to the, you know, caveman. Let's just say we go back as far as, say, the 1600s, where Descartes is wanting to autopsy bodies, but the church is getting all worked up about it. So he says, okay, let's divide science and spirituality so I right. have permission to do my science right. without pissing off the church. And so we learned some things because he was curious and he asked questions and you get to Isaac Newton and he and Apple hit him on the head when it fell out of the tree. And so, you know, modern physics was born out of his question. Yep. And yet if you look at the spectrum of human history, it has always been 
partial information. Right. Yep, we yep. thought the world was flat. We got a little more information. Oh, maybe not. Now people are back to thinking it's flat, but you know, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, so, you know, I've, yeah. I've had the pleasure of uh, talking with and meeting uh, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, which. Oh yeah. Bruce is great. Oh, Bruce is, a, he is such a fantastic person. Yeah. And it's amazing when you talk to him, he came from the science. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is Sean, that if we go back to that spectrum and every you know year, every 20 years, every hundred years, every 200 years, we get more information. And so then we, if we're wise, we amend, whether that's as a society or as a person, right? you, you amend your paradigm based on new information. Right. And that's the scientific model. And so it's not such a huge leap. And if you get to the beginning of the 20th century, you know, Albert Einstein in his general theory of relativity in 1904, whatever it was, and then uh, Max Planck. I wanted to read this. I have a quote from Max Planck, who was the origin, he originated quantum theory. And his quote is, I re and this is roughly, he won the Nobel Prize uh, for his quantum theory in 1918. And the quote is, I regard consciousness as fundamental. I regard matter as derivative of consciousness. Wow. Yeah. So even as a scientist, he acknowledged yeah. the starting point is consciousness, not matter. What, what, what did you think when you first read that quote? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to watch how we come to understand something, right? If you endeavor to learn a new language or you endeavor to you know, study a new subject or learn to play the guitar, you know, our understanding increases the more we spend time in that space learning that thing. Right. So when I first read it, it was after Scott passed because I, I was looking for, I was having experiences and I'll get back to that story, but I was having experiences that were be outside of my frame of belief or understanding, but I didn't, as a scientist, I didn't want it to be mystical. Right. If it's, if it's real, I didn't want, I didn't want to just be a grieving woman who, you know, wants to feel better. I could go to the Catholic church for that. And that wasn't making me feel better that he was above a cloud somewhere with a guy with a beard and a staff and a halo. Right. That didn't help. But if what I was experiencing was real, then it had to be explainable. At least that was my thought process. Right. And so if, it, if it, this is real and I'm not lying to myself, I'm by myself. And I'm, so I formed for myself a hypothesis and I started studying quantum physics, which was the last thing I thought I'd ever study, but I started studying it because it seemed like therein might lie some explanation for what I was experiencing and how that was possible. Right. So how did that, so after that happened in, in 17, how did you, what transformed within you to? So at that time, all I knew was that I was spiraling downward in this vortex of grief that I didn't understand how to, it's kind of like on a river when you're kayaking, you get caught in this, you know, eddy you can't get out of. Right. And I didn't know how, but I knew that if I was going to find answers, I needed to be more open-minded than I perhaps had been. And I didn't know anyone 
who knew anyone who knew anyone who knew a medium. It was the farthest thing from my reality, but I put on my, it's like, you know, I think I wanted to make sure to, uh, to share with, with you and with the, the listeners to set a context for what I'm about to say, because it's what I had to do for myself. So if we have a spectrum here and over here is not possible, not real, and over here is absolutely true, absolutely real, both of those are a full cup. Right. You have your answer. So neither of them has any room for new knowledge. So what's the midpoint on the scale then? The midpoint on the scale is what if? What if it's real? What if it's not? At least there's room. You acknowledge both possibilities. Right. And I think that people should be discerning, but I had to be more open-minded than I had been. So there's a quote from a guy in uh, late 1800s. Uh, called Charles Leadbeater. And this quote sets the tone for what what it is I want to speak to. It is one of the commonest of our mistakes to consider that the limit of our power of perception is also the limit of all that there is to perceive. Yep. Well, if I can't, you know, I I can see it. And I, I only believe the things that I can see. Right. And yet quantum physics and spirituality, what they have in common is they're both exploring the an unseen world. Right. Quantum physics is about what is smaller. An atom is not something we can see. It's an atom. It's something that we can extrapolate. And so I needed to shift my perception to, okay, maybe there's more going on than I could understand. So... I want to propose to the listeners that what if is the most meaningful place with anything new. Yeah. So I'm not asking you or anyone to believe what I say, but I'm asking to suspend disbelief and say, what if, so what happened for me is I found someone, someone referred me to a medium and this woman was, during 9-11, she was third in command of the free world. There was the president, there was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and there was her. So not a medium. But she was there at the Pentagon, and that loss of life was a shift for her. And five years later, her stepdaughter was unexpectedly killed. And it cracked her open to asking some of those bigger questions about, do we die? If we don't die, where do we go? You know, those kinds of things. Right. And so I thought, okay, this woman is left-brained enough for me. And her name is Suzanne Giesman, and she's become a dear friend and a, and a mentor to me. But when I had a reading with her, she didn't know me from anybody. I didn't know her. And she, uh, I didn't know what to expect from having a, me- a, read- a reading with a medium. But she, we were on Zoom like this, and she was in Florida, and she didn't know where I was. She didn't know anything about me other than the love of my life had passed. And she came up with his first name, where he died, that he used to live in France, the weird, crazy song we sang at his memorial service, intimate things that even if she could have Googled me, she would not have found those things. Right. And so my question was, at the end of that, I don't exactly understand what happened. And I'd read some of her books, and I mean, I was conversant with her stance on things. And I said, so 
all I can say is that somehow you connected with Scott and how do I do that? I don't want to need you. How do I do it? And her reply was one word, meditation. And I thought, darn it. <laughs> it's like the one thing I didn't want you to say was that. <laughs> that's, that's so true. And it's like, you know, part of what I teach and it, it ties into this is I think everything is a vibration. Everything in the universe that's ever happened, everything that's ever said, everything that's ever been is a vibration within the universe. Yeah. And it's like tuning into a radio station. If I have a radio, if, if I have a radio right here, I have all the music in this room that I'm in. I've got everything from rap, country, talk radio. Everything is here. It's yeah. all around me all the time. It's never going away. It's always here. All I need is a device to turn turn into that particular frequency and boom, I've got talk radio. I've got That's sports right. radio. And I think the big thing is one, you can't see it. So people, obviously it's, it's something that's hard to fathom something you can't physically see, but it's, it's there. I mean, it's, you know, I truly think it's there. The, the big thing is like you said, how do you, how do you possibly, how can you possibly tune into that particular frequency that you're wanting to, to tune into? Well, and I can answer that because I learned that. So she gives me this word meditation, which I didn't want to hear. And, but she also gave me some counsel, which totally changed my paradigm. And if I could leave any, if, if, if for this whole conversation with you, if I could leave one gift, this would be it to understand what she said was, think about it differently. Think about it in terms of prayer is asking and thanking. Meditation is listening. Yep. Wow, I, can, I can't still my mind or sit in a lotus position, but I can listen. And people, when, when you get that, you know, a lot of people, have, for me, have different words for that. They, they have that when they meditate and they get these. A lot of, that's, to me, that's intuition. When, mm -hmm. when you get, when you have a thought pop in your mind, that is the moment when you're getting something back for me. I yes. mean, that, that's, that's, yes. that's, that's when right. that's, that's the incoming message. And most people, including myself, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, not today. You know, that's, uh, you know, that's yeah. Yeah. So meditation. Yeah. So how, how did you start meditating? How, how, what did you do? Well, and this is an important distinction um, that I think is key. So if, if you think, and again, scientists, the scientist in me is going to step up here, but if you think A plus B equals C, if A is the activity, so we'll call this meditation, B is your intention. So what is your intention with your meditation? I have a friend who's been meditating every day for 50 years his intention is to still his mind and sit side by side in bliss with higher consciousness. He doesn't want to connect with the spirit world. He doesn't want any of that. He just wants to zone out with higher consciousness and be in bliss. So his intention creates C, which is the outcome. Right. So for me, meditation plus my intention was to connect with Scott, if that was possible, which I right. didn't know. Right. And equals C. So I had a very clear intention, which was to make that connection. And if I think in terms of listening, 
the way that it sort of came to me was, you know, if you're at home, at home alone at night and you hear a noise in the house and it wakes you up and you sit up in your bed and you listen, that's active listening. You're not thinking about your shopping list. You're not thinking about the laundry or what you got to do at work tomorrow. You're listening to see if there's a burglar in the house. Right. Very intently. Exactly. Yeah. So when I sit quietly, I sit with an intention to connect. And so it's almost like it becomes like a walkie talkie. I set my intention and that, you know, that intention pushes the little button. Hello, you know, Scott, are you there? Right. And if you can sit in that silence and you made such an important point, Sean, which is, and it's a, it's a muscle that has to be built, but it's to listen and trust those intuitions, the things that you intuit. And again, this is a what if point. What if that thought, you think it's your thought, what if that thought is from your loved one? Yep. I, I fully I fully agree with that. And, and it's I think we are fools to think that when we have thoughts that they're our thoughts. <laughs> they can't they, they come from somewhere. That's not just to me, it's not just you uh, you know, all of a sudden willy nilly, you know, thinking yeah. of a thinking of an idea or thinking of a thought or it is, you know, it's it's coming into we to me we are all transmitters and we are all receivers of yes. energy and that's i mean that's yes and nasim haramain who's a physicist uh he has a really brilliant documentary called the black hole but it's w-h-o-l-e and he talks about his quote is looking for consciousness inside the brain is like looking for the band inside the radio yep so it, it underscores yeah. your point exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can. And yet, it, so the other thing he said, which when he first said it, I almost like I pushed against it. I didn't understand. He said, anything that's spiritual and metaphysical is just the physics we don't yet understand. Right. And I now understand what he's talking about. It's just you go from mystical to logical as soon as you have information. That can, that can explain why something is happening. So I started to meditate and day one, it felt like Scott showed up, but then I'm thinking, okay, I'm grieving and I want him to show up. So I'm making it up in my head. So it was a process, but the guidance I was given from Suzanne Giesman was he wants you to know that he's there as much as you want to know he's there. So ask him to prove it to you. Right. Ask for signs, have fun with it. And so I thought, okay, I can do that. Be careful what you ask for, by the way. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So the first day, and I'm a little bit OCD about like the books on the shelf are all lined up, whatever. So I was walking by the bookshelf the morning after this reading, and there was a book that was sticking out in a wonky kind of a way. And I thought, well, that's weird. So I went to push it in. And the thought in my head was, pick up the book, open it to any page. So she says, have fun with it. So I take the book. I look at his scout's picture on the wall and I close my eyes. I think of him in a loving way and I fan the book. But what I say before I close my eyes is I look at his picture and I say, Scott, do you have a message for me today? And I close my eyes and I fan the book and I open my eyes and my eyes land on the phrase. Yes, I do. Do you have a message for me? Yes, I do. And that was a holy smokes moment for me. 
Yeah. And most people think that's just either fate or coincidence or they yeah. don't see the, to me, we don't, we don't always see the meaning in, in things that are presented to us. No, but I think that the, the point that is important is learn to become a scientist of your own experience. Like, so I don't have to improve, prove to anyone else what's happening is real or not real. But even as a scientist, if I have a mountain of anecdotal evidence, it's still at some point you have to acknowledge that one time might be a coincidence, five times, 25 times, maybe even 100 times, which right. is pretty extraordinary. But at some point, you have to acknowledge that there's something more going on, even if you don't understand what it is. But that's what I did was I, because I had, it was one thing and then it was five things then it was 25 and it was 105 and it was 1005. And so many things were happening that were outside of my existing paradigm for all intents and purposes. And this perhaps sounds melodramatic, but Scott died or what I thought died, you know, his body died. And I had to die to my former self to reach him. Right. And once I sat down that I know everything, or I think I know everything or whatever my Catholic upbringing gave me, or, you know, we are both human and divine. And yet the, the, the lie we're told is that we're separate, that we're separate from that from which we came. And so you've got to sort of merge back into a place of understanding that we're not separate. Now, do you think it's harder for you to accept it coming from a scientific <laughs> background? I mean, Probably. it seems like the <laughs> you you always want to have proof. It's there's there's got to be proof, you know. There's yeah. So I yes. would think it'd be tough coming from a scientific background to accept yes or no. So I mean, the the important the important point. So you go to Harvard, you know, Harvard, Yale. There's all kinds of you know valid academic institutions who've done research on meditation. There's a wonderful documentary out, just came out recently called The Dalai Lama Scientist. And, you know, this, finally we're coming to a place where there's more of a synthesis between science and spirituality and the acknowledgement of consciousness as an, a core element of physics and our origin. Um, but, if we will sit in that quiet, in that stillness, I always meditate with a notepad in my lap. So if something occurs to me, I open my eyes, I write it down, I close my eyes again. I don't right. think about it in that moment. I just write it down and I go back to listening. And at the end, and this is another key point, which I don't think people generally think of. If I'm meditating and, or listen, I call it listening practice. If I'm sitting and doing my listening practice and for some reason, I think of a pine cone. You know, why am I thinking of a pine cone? But I don't analyze, I write it down, I keep, you know, I go back. But if I sit there and I look and I have a pine cone and I don't know why, what am I going to do with that? Now, prior to Google, we didn't, you know, you have Encyclopedia Britannica, 40 volumes in your basement. Right. But if you take that and you go to Google and you type in the spiritual significance of the pine cone, holy smokes, there's spiritual education that I was not aware of. So the day I got the pine cone, I also got the eye of Horus, 
and I got the pineal gland, but I didn't know what those had to do with each other. Right. But I'm a researcher. So I get done meditating. I go to Google. I type in the spiritual meaning of, and I learn that the pineal gland is called the pineal gland because it's shaped like a little pine cone. Didn't know that. And so the pine cone becomes a metaphor for this part of our brain, which is tied to what we would consider our third eye. And I didn't know that Horus, the Egyptian god with the you know with a hawk head, right? He had two eyes, lost an eye. Somebody built him a third eye, and then his other eye grew back, so he had three eyes, which is the third eye, which is the pineal gland, which is the pine cone. Right. But I didn't know all that, and I got a pine cone, and I went in search of why was I getting those things, and I I found answers because I utilized the technology. Right. Yeah, I think we've lost touch of a lot of our past history. You know, we've kind of I don't want to say modernized it, but we've scientific, you know, we've, we, we've analyzed everything to where, you know, those, uh, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that stuff has just been, I don't want to say forgotten, but it's used a lot less, you know, nowadays, you know, it really is. But I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think that it's lost to, you know, our, our hurried nature perhaps, and right. it's lost because maybe it's not perceived as value. So there's this subset of people who know those things. I wasn't a part of that subset of people prior to Scott's transition. And so one thing led to another. And first it was, it felt like he was here and I was, it didn't matter. At, the, at some point when I was meditating, when I was listening, I wasn't grieving. So it was helping me across a river of grief that I didn't have any way to navigate otherwise. Right. And then... What happened next, I was in no way prepared for, I didn't have anybody else in my mind. Yes, I've lost my mom and I've lost my brother. I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking about Scott. And yet one day when I was meditating, I had somebody else's loved one that I didn't know show up. And I thought, well, what the heck is this? And what do I do with this? And it was the turning point for me of it's sort of like if you open the door and your heart's in the right place, I'm not looking to, I don't know if you can conjure demons, but I wasn't looking to conjure demons. I was in a place of love and I was receptive. And it's kind of like Kevin Costner in fields of dreams. You know, if you build it, they will come. And so other people started showing up and I had to learn how to navigate what that was and to be open-minded but mediumship is about an expanded state of awareness it's about becoming aware of subtle energies like you said right. it's about ener- what did Ms. nikola tesla say where if you want to understand how the universe works you think in terms of energy frequency and vibration yep therein lies your answer and the truth of the matter is that an atom isn't matter an atom is energy. Energy. It's all it's all energy. Yeah. So yeah. we're not actually matter. We're energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's I mean, an illusion of matter. It's an illusion. And I mean, if you had a, a, a strong enough microscope, you could not tell the difference between me and, and this table. Exactly. It's all it's all energy. Now, if you look back, so you know, once once this happened and you kind of started seeing this stuff and realizing this stuff, when you look back in your life, do you do you have times where like I should have seen that before this, you know, I should have, there's been signs yes, throughout my life and, and 
I just didn't pay attention to them. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh and that's the thing. Sometimes we got to get hit by a 2 by 4 to to see these yeah. things and sometimes it's painful stuff, sometimes it's, you know, yeah. uh but uh yeah, I've done the same thing. You know, it's times that I've looked back in the life and it's like, man, I should have I should have paid attention to you know, things that were happening. I should have paid attention to intuition. I should have paid attention to, you know, these ideas that I had, these thoughts that I had and not just dismissed them and well, but that's where you're doing such an important thing, Sean. If you think I'm looking above your head, the Thinking Big podcast, you know, can we recondition ourselves like a dog? You know, what I call it is we need to develop our dog whistle senses. We have our five physical senses. And what if, just as a, let me posit this, what if for all of our five physical senses, we have five mirror senses that are etheric you know so you have you can hear something with your ears but you can also hear something in your mind's ear right if i tell you to close your eyes and imagine a school bus you can see a yellow school bus in your mind's eye so we have dual senses and we know that the wi-fi exists and yet we can't see it we know that the dog whistle can be heard by the dog even though we can't hear it and there are, I don't know, this is a bit, you know, the, the U.S. military uses things like remote viewing. And the police, if they're stumped, will go to a psychic. Yeah. So there is some, it's not widely, I, mean, I think it's becoming perhaps more acknowledged as having a sense of viability. But right. th- there are, I have a friend that was uh paid by the Department of Defense to travel all over the world and go and watch the monks in Tibet who can walk through stone walls because they wanted to see if they could use some of these uh, mystical things for defense purposes. So there's an acknowledgement, but you think about, again, it's a subset, whether it's the U.S. military or whether it's the you know, wavy gravy spiritual community. There's right. subsets of people that maybe believe, but it takes longer for something to ripple out to a broader sense of understanding. Yeah. And it's, you know, you had mentioned that is we only, you know, we can only be consciously aware without searching. I mean, we are only consciously aware of what we see, what we get with our, with our known five senses. And it's, you know, it, we're, we're processing such a small amount of our capacity with our conscious mind and with the senses, you know, that to me, you know, that's our, that's our general input, you know, how we feel th- about things, you know, how things feel to us, how they taste, how they, how we hear them. Yeah. But that is such a small subset. You know, I think they say the, the subconscious mind operates at what, 4 billion bits per second. And the conscious mind operates at like 2000 bits per second. It's like, yeah. There's, we're, we're consciously, <laughs> we're, we are consciously aware of such a small part of what's actually going on that it's, uh, and, and the thing is, is we only see things that we consciously understand. You know, I, I can't remember what, uh, what book that was that from, but when they brought the ships in, the people on the shore had never seen ships, so they didn't see them. It's like, That's right. they weren't consciously aware that that could even exist. Yes. So they didn't even see the ships out in the water. It's like we consciously, we, we, we see these things. We only let our mind 
operate on on what we know. It's like I call it like the Volks, the Volkswagen effect. You know, when you buy a car, all of a sudden you see a million yeah. of those cars. It's because that consciously you're just aware of that. So now your mind yeah. thinks, oh, that's that's important. So yes. I'm going to now show you those every time every time a Volkswagen comes up like yours. I'm going to I'm going to show it to you now because your your subconscious thinks, oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. important, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, if you you make such an important point about like the ships coming to the shore and another way to think of it is if I brought you from another planet and you didn't know anything about the environment on this planet and we took a walk to the beach and you have no concept of the ocean, you can see the vastness of that sea, but you have no awareness of what's going on below the surface. Right. There's whales and sharks and fish and algae and, you know, coral so it's to me the the greater reality as it were is we as humans are trained we know what the sea is but we don't have any concept of what's just below the surface and then all of a sudden a dolphin pops up and that changes your reality of oh there's probably more going on and that's the experience i had is all of a sudden there's more going on right than i understood Thank you so much for your time so far. And we're going to continue this podcast next week in part two. Uh, and as a teaser, my grandma, that is past, joins in on the podcast. Anyways, thanks again, everybody. And Thinking Big Tribe, we are very close to the next milestone. And I need your help to reach more people who can benefit from this content, especially during these tough times. And ratings and reviews directly impact the search rankings on podcast and the Thinking Big podcast. So please do me a favor and go up to iTunes and uh, do a review and a uh, and subscribe and, and give me a review and a five-star rating. I would greatly appreciate that. Again, until next week, enjoy yourselves. And if you would like to contact Cheryl before next week, uh, the, her uh, website's going to be in the show notes, which is quantummediumship.com. And she has a free guide, a PDF guide on how to begin connecting uh, with, the sparrow, uh, with the spirit world in a meaningful way. So go up and check out uh, quantummediumship.com and, and talk with Cheryl and join us next week for part two.